You're tuning into the podcast series, We Talk Cyber with Monica, your platform for engaging discussions and expert opinions on all things cyber. For more information, check out monicatalkcyber.com and let's hop right into today's episode. Hi, everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to today's episode of We Talk Cyber with Monica. I'm your host, Monica Verma. We have yet another fantastic episode of We Talk Cyber and another amazing guest that we have on the show today. He's none other than Lance Spitzner. He's a speaker, he's a security expert, and a leader. Welcome, Lance. Welcome to the episode. All right, folks. So, hey, my name's Lance Spitzner. As mentioned, I'm a director at SAN Security Awareness. So my job and passion is helping organizations around the world with managing the human risk. Uh, I've been in cybersecurity for a little over 20 years. First 10 years, really technical, uh, cyber intelligence, firewalls, pen testing, forensics. So if anybody wants to nerd out, happy to geek out at any time, but really now I'm focused on the human side. So that's why I'm excited to be here today. Fantastic. Welcome so much, Lance. And today we will be talking about the human aspect of cybersecurity and security culture. So uh, before we get into the groove, I want to really ask you one question that I want to start with. What is the importance of human aspect in both cybersecurity defense and offense? Why is it important? Uh, Awesome point. So the past 20 years, we've actually gotten really good at using technology to secure technology. And yet we wonder why we continue to really lose this battle. And that's because in a lot of ways, we've ignored the human side. And cybersecurity is both technology and the human side. We all know it. The problem is we tend to focus on the technology side because in a lot of ways, it's easier. Buy box, deploy box, problem solved. So what ends up happening is we get so focused on the technology side, we ignore the human side. And as long as we ignore that human, that's where we're going to continue to lose. And that's why I'm so excited to focus on the human side, because that's where I feel we can have the biggest impact. Right. Okay. So if this is the important part of cybersecurity, right, because as you said, technology is something we are focused on, we need to start focusing on the human aspect. When it comes to organizations and businesses, what are the questions or what are the right questions for them to ask that they have not been asking? Uh, So fantastic. So when it comes to the human side, one of the biggest challenges we have is it's the geeks who are trying to secure the people. And what we need to do is to really make the human side secure. We have to make human side as simple as possible. So the key question leadership should be asking is, what are our top human risks? What are the key behaviors we need to secure or manage those human risks? Mm-hmm. So biggest problem with when you're trying to manage human risk is we try to teach people everything. We overwhelm them. The hard part is, okay, what are those key risks and what are the key behaviors that manage those risks? And what's great is something like the Verizon DBIR, they has c- consistently identified for the past three years, the top risks organizations face, and they're all, all three are human related, are phishing, credentials, and accidental. So if organizations were just to identify and key in on their top human risks, they could dramatically manage the risk, dramatically drop those incidents, those breaches, and have fantastic return on investment. The problem is we continue to focus only on technology. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very true because we have an old security aspect of actually people, process, and technology, right? And when people think about security, they forget the first people part, true. which is what we are missing, the human behavior. So when the, when the organizations ask these questions about human risk, and let's say they have learned a bit about it, how do we train the users? Because as you said, the top three risks are around credential, yep. phishing, and accidental. And yep. how do you then train? What is, how do you build a good security program, security awareness program? What are the key elements to ensure that the users and the businesses both understand the human behavior aspect of security? Great question. Comes actually down to two questions. What behaviors do we want to change and how? So before we run out and start engaging, communicating, and changing behavior, we need to identify what are the fewest key behaviors that will have the greatest impact. Um, a great quote by uh, Dr. Angela Sass out of the UK, every behavior has a cost, but people can only exhibit so many behaviors. You only have time to teach so many behaviors. So a variety of reasons why to really have an impact Focus on as few behaviors as possible. And that's why I love data like the Verizon DBIR. They enable us to key on those key, uh, key risks, key behaviors. Mm. But then the other element becomes how do we engage? How do we change behavior? And that's moving from a technology side to more of an organizational change side. So there's entire fields of science that have already done decades of research on how to do just that, change behavior. It's, right. it's called, yeah. Cognitive sciences, organizational change, behavioral economics. So what ends up happening is you apply that field and you can definitely effectively change behavior. The problem is quite too often the people in charge of managing the human risk are simply another technical person from the security team. You know, hey, Alice, you know, you're in charge of data analytics. You're now also in charge of the awareness program. And poor Alice, she has a very technical background busy doing other things, and now this totally different project is dumped on her, and then we wonder why awareness programs struggle. So the key part of a successful awareness, outreach, influence, culture, whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. is the individual involved, it's not their technical skills, it's their communication, engagement, and change skills that uh, are key. Right. So what are one of the biggest mistakes you have seen organizations do when they are doing these security awareness programs. One you said is, okay, obviously there was implicit answer in there that getting a technical person that has no idea of communication or behavior is yeah. probably one of the mistakes. But apart from that, what is the biggest and repetitive mistake that you keep yeah. on seeing in organizations when they're doing this? That's a great, yeah, a great, a great question. Big, big twos and talk for asking that one. Um, so what ends up happening is, uh, for, for one, the wrong person in charge, highly technical, Two, part-time. I mean, would you have your entire SOC program ran by one person part-time? No. Would you have your entire endpoint protection program, you know, EPA or uh, any type of uh, technology solution ran by one person part-time? No. So you need to do the same thing from the human side. Mm -hmm. Somebody that understands communication, somebody full-time, but also you can't train once a year. Training once a year is great for compliance. Check the box, but you're not going to change behavior. Yeah. You have to communicate regularly throughout the year. And then I would say fourth, the most common one is once again, 
the, when you have a security geek in charge of an awareness program, they go for perfect security. So let's teach everyone every behavior possible. Hmm. When in reality, we've got to take a step back and understand you can only make certain changes. We got to at small steps. So we really have to prioritize them. Exactly. So, you know, before we teach people to run, we got to teach them to walk. So we tend to, you know, you'll have geeks getting into, well, you got to do network segmentation and, you know, how to update the kernel and things like that. And you're like, no, 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 no. Let's take a step back. You know, key things like passwords, updating, um, something as simple as checking the to field in email before you hit send. Fascinating data point. Mm -hmm. 10% mm -hmm. of all breaches globally are due to autocomplete in email. Mm -hmm. That's actually correct. Mm -hmm. So I was reading other studies as well that the show majority of the data breaches are not because of security flaws so much as human accidents. So often than not, people just send data out to unintentional recipients that are not supposed to re receive that data in the first place. And then talking about data, you've brought me to a very interesting um, topic here because we talk about cybersecurity awareness in the terms of, okay, I need to teach humans how to not get social engineered, protect them from phishing, and make them understand what data breaches are. But what about the privacy aspect of it? So for example, my data getting breached, uh, what are the consequences? It's important for me to understand how to protect the data. But as a user, as an employee, is it equally important for me to understand if my data has consent for uh, being processed? Is it transparent in the way it's being processed by organizations, by corporations, by government? Do you think there's a benefit of adding such kind of privacy awareness trainings to security awareness or as a complement to security awareness trainings? I think it's definitely a compliment, but the frustrating thing when it comes to privacy is it's hard to teach people, take these steps to protect your privacy. Mm -hmm. Because in today's digital age, every action you take is being watched, monitored, and collected. Use a credit card, everything you do is tracked. Use a mobile phone, everything you do is tracked, everywhere you go is tracked. Drive in your car, use a browser, so sometimes when people think, ooh, privacy, they think if they install the Tor browser or install the Signal mobile app, their, their privacy is protected, and absolutely not. So unfortunately, a lot of times when I do training on privacy, I have to, the reality is you are tracked in so many ways by so many organizations, and it's not the government you need to be worried about. It's mm -hmm. Amazon and Equifax and you know, all the major credit card companies and banks. The key thing I teach is privacy is in reality, you don't have a lot of privacy. And it's very, very hard to protect your privacy and your data because so many organizations have it. So the key thing I teach in privacy is A, be aware of that, but B, be aware of when your privacy has been um, violated, compromised. So you're not so much trying to protect your data, but more when it's been compromised. So identity fraud, identity theft. Mm -hmm. So when I'm teaching things about privacy, monitor your bank accounts for credit card fraud. Here in the United States, monitor your credit rating to see if your identity has been stolen and people are applying for loans or credit cards in your name, mm -hmm. things like that. So especially here in North America, where we don't have those same protections that um, Europe benefits from. 
in a lot of ways, privacy training is, in a lot of ways, you don't have privacy training. You don't have privacy. Right. It, nearly as much as you'd like to think. Right. I mean, and at the same time, for somebody to basically start taking care of monitoring if somebody is taking, if your identity has been stolen or if some fraud has been committed, the first step would for them to be doing is being aware of what are the risks, right? And that is where it might be beneficial and important, as you say, to have these kind of aspects into the security awareness training, because they're not, they're not so much about the technicality or the security breaches that happen, but so much also understanding the risk of when your data gets stolen, what happens yes. then, right? If somebody is monitoring it in the wrong way or doing things in a way that you're not aware of how it can be violated for you to protect yourself against these risks, you can't if you don't know what these risks are. Absolutely. Like you said, monitoring is the key thing, because if you find out your identity has been stolen three months after it's happened, there's a lot of pain involved. But if you see ooh, within hours, you know, why was my credit card used for this charge? Or why did somebody just take a loan out in my name? That's not right. If you get catch it in a couple of days, you can really minimize the damage. You find out months later, it's going to be very painful to recover from. Correct, correct, correct. So one of the things we have noticed in these last months or during the COVID-19, which we're still going through, is that obviously there have been a massive increase in social engineering, phishing, and these kind of human aspects of cyber threat, partly also due to the abuse of panic and fear in the society. Do you believe that this was just a spike due to the panic and fear and that we will see it go down eventually when we get out of this pandemic? Or do you believe it will continue to rise, that this was not just a one-time panic and fear spike, but that it will continue evolving and taking different forms and shapes and still get worse and worse when it comes to the human element of abuse in the cybersecurity realm? Well, so it's a little bit of both. So I just saw a fantastic talk by Katie Nichols. Oh, she's a cyber threat intelligence expert on mm-hmm. this very topic. And what it is, is when it comes to attacking the human, the bad guys are very good at leveraging emotion. And you nailed it. The sense of urgency, sense of crisis. Mm-hmm. So the bad guys are very good at adapting to and leveraging anything in the news that has that sense of urgency and crisis. Mm-hmm. So COVID comes around. It's a new sense of urgency. It's a new sense of crisis. So the bad guys, TTPs, haven't changed. And what ends up happening is the whole concept of how they're going to attack doesn't change. All they do is change the flavor. So in COVID-19 is the latest flavor. They're going to use that in their attacks. And then what happens is, so that's not new. But what is new is people are now working at home. So there's an additional sense of crisis. They're not in these protected environments, protected networks. So the fact that the bad guys are adapting to, or adapting to COVID-19, that is not so much new. But the environment that people are now working in makes them more vulnerable because the greater sense of crisis, greater sense of urgency. So that is why you're seeing this probably huge spike. It's, the spike's not so much coming from, hey, there's a crisis externally bad guys adapt to it. It's people's environments have changed. You know, mm-hmm. you're reading work email while there's a screaming 18 month old infant on your laptop. Your spouse is working from home. Your kids are e-learning. So there's tremendous chaos at home. That's the real danger. That, that's what's causing the real pain. 
Right. In that sense, then, even when we go out of the pandemic, we know, like we have, I think we have understood that there will be some changes in this new normal that will then become and continue in this new world, which will not be the same as pre-COVID. The post-COVID might look a bit different than pre-COVID. So then do you believe these kind of abuse of the remote work and the changes that will be persistent will still prevail in the society? So absolutely. So in a lot of ways, this whole virtual world plan is becoming the new norm. So what's going to happen is there is going to have to be a tremendous amount of training on the human side because people are now going to have to create their own secure networks. Um, The whole idea of creating a secure environment working from home. So for example, just yesterday, uh, I have three kids at our local schools. They just announced for 2000 in fall, 2020, 21. Our schools for our kids are going to be hybrid. Half the kids show up to school one day, the other half stay at home and attend virtually. The next day it flips, the next day Mm -hmm. it flips again. Mm -hmm. So this whole idea of virtual training is here to stay. The virtual training, remote working, yeah. And you nailed it earlier, remember the, the, the triad, the whole idea of technology, process, and people. Well, we're going to have to adopt the processes because now people are working from home. And to yes. the technology, you know, the idea of VPNs, maybe zero trust, who knows? Correct, correct. What has been your biggest surprise in the last months and why? Wow, there's a couple of them. But um, from a technology perspective or just in general? Both. Oh. Um, I'll be the good and the bad. The good is how quickly people have adapted to working from home. So I would say overall, this change from working from home, adapting to the technology has gone better than expected. And that's why I think it's permanent because a lot of people are now realizing the benefits of working from home. They don't have to commute. You can spend more time with family. And for some of us, we're actually more productive at home, not for some, for a lot of us. So from a technology side, I would say that adaption has gone better than I had hoped. I would say the problem is, once again, the people side and not the technology side. It's the whole idea of COVID-19, especially in North America, is how political the whole situation has become. You know, here in North America, it's a political statement. Some people perceive it as a political statement if you wear a mask or you don't wear a mask. And it's like, oof, that one you didn't see coming. Yeah, I understand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So now coming back to the cybersecurity culture, what are your recommendations for people to just read, learn? What are your favorite recommended readings, audio, video books that you would recommend to the audience? So who's the audience? The people who wanting to build up their security culture or people who just both, want to be? Let's say two types of one, the business and organizations they want to build and two, the users. Okay. So what happens is if you're looking to develop your skills on the human side, don't reinvent the wheel. Let's go tap into the world of behavioral economics and change management and organizational change and culture. They have decades and decades of research. Um, So just a couple of key books I highly recommend is Chris and Dan uh, Heath's book, uh, I'm sorry, Chip and Dan Heath's book, Switch. Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow. Thaler and Sunstein's book, nudge and then simon sentnick's book start with why 
all fantastic. And uh, John Cotter's Leading Change. Five fantastic books that cover the spectrum of organizational change, cognitive science, behavioral economics, things like that. On the individual end user side, part of the problem is they're overwhelmed with information. So the issue is not getting the information. The issue is there's so much noise out there. What do I focus on? And that's our job in security is try to make security easier for others. The easier we make security, the more likely people can change the behaviors we want. So if you're looking for basic guidance on where to go, just remember the key things is really, you know, key things are passwords, social engineering, and accidental. And then quite often, so for example, I know in Norway, you folks have some outstanding resources from your government. I've worked with them, I know, on how to be secure. Same thing here in the United States, we have something called Stay Safe Online. So Mm -hmm. depending on which country you're in, Hopefully you can go to your country's government, perhaps the CERT, and there's some fantastic resources. The key thing is it's not hard. It's not complex. Just focus on a couple of key basic behaviors. Fantastic. That's really amazing because I think it's really important what you said, the two aspects. One, it's really our job to make it simpler for the audience, for make it simpler for the users. Sometimes people just confuse like, users are dumb or that they are not knowing. Yeah, it's not their job to know these things by default. They are not working in security. It's our job to help them understand. And the other aspect that you're saying is also very correct is to reduce the noise. And how do we do that? Would you like to leave us any message that you would like to give to the audience? Well, just for thank you for the opportunity. Folks out there in the security world, don't perceive the human as the weakest link that kind of blames them, perceive them as the primary attack vector. And the reason people are the primary attack vector is we have failed to secure them. So let's not blame people. Let's take a hard look at ourselves and go, what can we do to make security easier for our workforce? Mm -hmm. And how can I do a better job of communicating it in their terms? And if we take a step back and realize it's not their fault, in many ways it's ours, with that new perspective, that is when you can actually start having change. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Lance. That's amazing. It was lovely to have you today on the podcast. Everybody, thank you for joining and tuning in. This was today's episode of We Talk Cyber with Monica. And I'll be back with more episodes, more guests, more discussions and conversations on different aspects of all things cyber. So this is your host, Monica Verma. I'll be signing off. Thank you so much. Stay tuned. Take care. And- Thanks for tuning in to We Talk Cyber with Monica. Do not forget to subscribe to We Talk Cyber in your favorite podcast app and YouTube channel, Monica Talk Cyber. Take care and continue tuning in.